Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I had in our scripture reading for us to sing, uh, to read from 2 Peter, because I don't know if we'll end up getting to that passage, but I want that to be familiar with you today as we come to this section in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples in Luke, chapter 9. Starting in verse 27, we see here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass, about eight days after this saying, or these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. There came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close, told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Bless us as we look at this passage. Thank you that your words are before us, preserved for us, and that we have gathered this Sunday morning to sing and worship and gather with the believers. And thank you for the guests who have visited here to the church, some who are first-time visitors, some returning. Lord, would they find this a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up and worshiped and where the word of God is presented and uh, the fellowship of the believers is strong. And, uh, uh, and you would press their hearts, if, if so being, that they would join in membership with our fellowship. And uh, Lord, bless us as we come to the word of God today. This is a sacred time. And Lord, would our attention be to the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago with our trip, uh, my wife and uh, Joshua, our oldest, we went to Germany for... A week of a missions trip it was a family camp with several missionaries. In fact, um, about 60, uh, 65 missionaries that were all taking part in that. We were in Germany. We were only a few hours from the southern border of Germany in Austria. And so the missionaries that we were staying with took us down there for some sightseeing. To see the Alps on the border of Germany and Austria. We were able to take a train trip up to the Zutspitze, which is the highest peak in Germany. I think just uh, uh, over 10,000 feet, around 10,000 feet. 
And uh, it was about 70, 80 degrees when we left the train station. And this uh, train would take us all the way up uh, to, uh, to a portion of the peak. And then you had to take a, um, a cable car up to the actual portion where the visitor center was at the top. When we got up to the end of the train, it was about 30, 32 degrees. So it was around freezing. And uh, there was snow on the ground and people were hiking around. We had brought our jackets and uh, we knew that was kind of coming and uh, got to kind of hike around there and just kind of see. There were some others who were actually um, going all the way up to the peak, bypassing the cable car in the train. I'm sure that was an all-day event. People could do that. They had their backpacks and, and their uh, goggles and all of the, those things in the sticks. And it was a pretty steep climb. While we were going up the cable car, we were, I was taking some pictures and some video. They looked like ants kind of going all up inside the cracks of 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 the of the peak and then finally when you got up there we were on we were on concrete ground all right when it comes to the visitor center but you had to climb up uh you could look over the edge and you can see where they were going to the peak you had to climb up a ladder and then one at a time they had to um there, there was a cable between the portion of the ladder and the peak where they had um, a, uh, a marker to, talk, to, to point the peak, and they would go up there, and one at a time, they had to clip in and go up to the peak and touch the thing, get a few little selfies, and, and then come back down, and then come back down the ladder, and my palms were just sweating just watching them do that. Now, the interesting thing was, it was nice and clear on the bottom. There were clouds and when we got into the train, but when we got to the top, the peak of the mountain was in a cloud. So we got off and we were looking around. You could see the, the ground, but you couldn't see off. You couldn't tell how far you had been. And they had some little pictures on the side uh, in case that happened. So you can see this is what it looks like when the clouds aren't here. And I don't know if I felt sorry for the guys who had spent all day long hiking from the bottom all the way to the top. And they get all the way to the top and they look out and get this selfie. And there's nothing, you, just, nothing just but fog and a cloud. Or if I felt good for them because if I was going to... You know, those who are afraid of heights, if you're going to climb a mountain, climb it in the clouds, okay, where you can't tell well, how high you are and, 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 the, and the heights. And so that, that was kind of interesting. When I read this passage of scripture, my mind went to that, um, that cloud and that mountaintop experience that we had. And I see the disciples here in this mountain area. In the life of Christ. This chapter is a transition chapter in the gospel of Luke. This chapter starts off with the disciples being commissioned to a ministry to go out and preach two by two. They leave as disciples. But then they return to the Lord in verse 10 as apostles. And Luke makes that transition when he says the disciples were sent out. And in verse 10 the apostles returned. So here's a transition in the life and ministry as they are deployed into battle for Jesus. They have been following and learning and seeing Jesus. Now it was their turn. And as they were deployed into the area of Galilee, they, they had to live by faith. In verses 17 or 10 through 17, the apostles learn a lesson of supply and demand. It is during this passage that Jesus will feed the 5,000. And he has this conversation with the disciples to figure out how to feed all these people. And then Jesus feeds them with five barley loaves and two fishes. And Jesus again is demonstrating for these disciples who follow the Lord. They must live in dependence of the heavenly father through the son. To provide for everything they have. 
surrounding these two sections of ministry as disciples are these conversations that have to deal with the identity of Jesus. In verses 7, 8, and 9, we talked about some verses that when Herod is wondering, who is this Jesus? Is he Elijah raised from the dead? Is he Jeremiah? Is he John the Baptist who's here to haunt me? And then Herod desires to see Jesus and looks for opportunities to be able to meet Jesus. Herod is puzzled over the identity of Jesus. In verses 18 through 20, the question Jesus brings up concerning his identity, when he comes to the disciples in Caesarea Philippi and he says, whom do men say that I am? And some of them said, well, some saying you're, you're Jeremiah, some you're Elijah, some you're John the Baptist, similar rumors that Herod had heard about. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and say, okay, you've given me the impression of what other people are saying to, uh, about me, but whom do you say? The son of man is. And Peter stands up in front of as the spokesman for all of the disciples and says, thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of God. You've come down from God. You are the Messiah, the one we are looking for. And with the Messiah comes a kingdom. And it is during this process that in verses 22 to 27, which is the the previous verses to this event, that Jesus talks to them about something very deeply personal and private. He shares with them the plans of his coming death. How he will go into Jerusalem, be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders, and there be suffered and die, and on the third day, rise again. He lets them in on the redemptive plan of God for his purpose of coming to save the world from sin by laying down his life. And do you remember it's during this time that Peter says, takes the Lord aside. And in the book of Matthew and Mark, Peter says, Lord, I don't like that plan. We're going to do things differently. And Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. For you savor, if not the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, your thoughts are not in the right place. I must suffer. And it is during this chapter that Jesus later on in the verses after this will set his face towards Jerusalem. And from this point on in Luke chapter 9, from this point on, Jesus will be going to the cross. Now, he came to die on the cross when he was born. But his earthly ministry is now coming to a conclusion. Now the final stages of why he came to this earth. And so for the, really the larger chunk of the gospel of Luke... This is the preparation of Jesus for the Passion Week where he will take the cross. And Jesus adds in there as well, says, by the way, if I'm going to suffer and die, then those who follow me share a similar fate. So let a man deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he gives three reasons why that is, if you notice, just looking and glancing at, look at verse 24, for whosoever, verse 25, for what is a man, and verse 26, for whosoever shall be ashamed. Here's the three reasons. You only have one life. There are no redos. Life is a gift. And God has given it to you to, to glorify him. Verse 25, you can't find blessing anywhere else. This life alone will leave you empty if you live it for the world. 
What profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? There's nothing that you will not find blessing anywhere else than living for God. And then last in verse 26, you want to hear Jesus? Be pleased with you. If you're ashamed of him on this life, then in the next, he as a, uh, you as a disciple will stand before him and he will be ashamed of you. Disciples who take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and deny themselves desire to hear the Father say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And then we move from that into verse 27 through 36. We'll touch again on the identity of Jesus. The event of the transfiguration, which is called in Matthew and Mark. Luke doesn't use the word transfigure. He uses a different word to be altered. But we don't call it the Mount of Alteration. Right? We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. That sounds a little bit more like a seamstress or a tailor. Right? And they're just going to altering things. Well, Luke uses a different word. But it's the same event that is recorded in Matthew and Mark. Now, I want you to understand this event is the most important single event between the birth and death of Christ. It is the most powerful scene in the personhood and identity of Jesus. If you were to lay out some events, important markers in the life of Jesus, we would see it possibly this way. The virgin birth, the baptism, the temptation, the transfiguration, and the crucifixion. And then the post-crucifixion uh, would be the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Those would be the important markers. And someone could add, well, what about the feeding of the 5,000? It's the only event in all four Gospels recorded outside of the Passion Week of Christ. Well, it, that could probably be a good event. There's an important of that when one miracle is mentioned. It's the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Christ that is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that seems to be an important marker, the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, of those events that I just mentioned, this is the only time in the earthly ministry of Jesus that he is described in this glory form. Even the post-resurrected Jesus is not described in this fashion. Remember when Mary comes to him and touches him and he says, no, don't touch me because I have yet to ascend into my father in glory. But this event, Jesus's life between the death and the ascension, if we want to say it, is the only time where he is described in this fashion outside of the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. We'll see that it's important. It marks for us such an important part because this is the revealing or the exposing of the glory of the incarnate son of God. It's also only the second time in the gospels that God audibly speaks from heaven. There are three occasions in the life of Jesus where God speaks out of heaven verbally and everyone hears it. It happened once before recorded in Matthew and Mark at his baptism. Luke does not record that event. It happens again here, recorded in all three synoptic gospels at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the third time, interesting enough, that gets overshadowed, it happened in John 12. During the Passion Week of Christ, John 12, 28. 
That one is a little lesser known and the words are different and it's only recorded in John. But there were three occasions that God spoke out of heaven. This one seems to be a center focus. Let's look at the outline today, my title of my message, the mountain, the meeting and the message, the mountain, the meeting, the message. First of all, let's look at the mountain in verse 27. I want you to draw your attention here. I tell you a truth. Jesus is getting ready to give a promise to them that there will some of you here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Some of the disciples that day were going to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God before they died. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God. The disciples went out and preached the kingdom of God. John the Baptist preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is this kingdom of God? This is a direct a connection to the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah who would bring his kingdom on earth. This was a time when the Messiah would bring peace. He would subdue his enemies. He will chain the devil in prison. He will gather all nations together. The lion will lay down with the lamb. All of Israel will be saved. Justice will be on earth. And he is given a name above every name. And it's at that name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. The Lord Jesus Christ will then be king of kings and lord of lords. Remember, the disciples were waiting for this kingdom, the Messiah in his glory. God will dwell with men. Jesus will be crowned. Israel will rule. Their enemies will be no more. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus had just told his disciples about the fact that he's going to Jerusalem. He'll be taken by sinners and put to death. Now, if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, no wonder you're confused. He's been telling you the kingdom has come. He's been telling you the kingdom is near. He just fed 5,000 people and they recognize, let's make him king. And Jesus has to get out of there because the whole crowd wants to put him as king. And now Jesus says, I'm the king. There's a kingdom coming. I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of the prophecies. But by the way, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die and be put in the grave. You see, Peter didn't even listen to the I will rise again part. However, Peter is confused. Now, go over to Matthew 16, the parallel passage to this. I want you to see this, and I don't want to dwell on it long, but I think it would be worth us just looking at it, uh, uh, the way Matthew records this verse 27 in his gospel. Matthew 16, 27. And notice he's mentioned some of the same things in verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This shows you. Then there's four in verse 25. There's two fours in verse 26. You may not see it or what shall a man give for exchange for his soul. Notice in verse 27. For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father. And with his angels. Then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And Peter is like, all right, the kingdom is coming. And we're not going to die until it comes. So as we see that, don't. This did not mean that the kingdom of God was going to come in their lifetime. 
but that some of them, not all of them, only some of them, would be able to see a preview, a picture of that kingdom before it came. A taste of the glory of Jesus and what the kingdom be, will be like. You know what a preview is? You, it, it's a glimpse of the real thing. It's a sampling. I remember as a child, I was able to go to a dress practice for the Savannah Symphony Orchestra. I was learning to play the violin very early in, in my uh, state, probably 10, 11 years old. And I came into this giant auditorium and up on the stage was the orchestra and the maestro. And I got to come and sit on a pew all by myself. No one else was in the building except the orchestra. And they played and performed and the conductor stopped and redid some areas and some sections. And then they would play through the whole song and then they went from this. I was able to attend a dress rehearsal. A preview of the concert that was to come the next night. Why? Because the first violinist was my violin teacher. And she gave me special access to be able to come in and watch them practice. And get a preview, a sneak peek, a taste of what the real concert was going to be like. She gave me special permission. So what is happening here of what Jesus is getting ready to do? Because he's the king and he has a kingdom and it's coming to earth one day. And he had just given the prophecy to the disciples that they also will suffer and die for being followers of Jesus. He will suffer and die and rise again. That to give them assurance to know that the promises of God are sure concerning the kingdom of God. He lets them get a sneak peek. He lets them get a preview. And notice that's what he says here in this verse, in verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after this saying. He took Peter and John and James and went into a mountain to pray. Now, Matthew and Mark say that it was six days. Luke says eight days. Don't let that bother you. Some have come to the place and say, see, the disciples couldn't get their story straight. That shows you they were making this up. They couldn't remember the details. So what makes us think we can remember anything else of it because they got their days wrong? No, the method of counting can be different. You can count six days in between or you can count the day of the event on both ends. The day that Jesus spoke those words and the day the event happened. There's six days in between. But there's eight days if you count them all together. It's not a hard solving of that seemingly contradiction. Luke chooses to count eight both days. The day at the beginning and the day at the end. Why so? There's never accidents. Luke could be alluding to a number eight. Eight is important. It came in the life of Jesus and John the Baptist at a different time earlier in chapter one and two. Because on the eighth day, according to the law, what was a mother and father to do with their firstborn child? They were to present them on the temple on the eighth day. And Luke records that John the Baptist was presented by his family on the eighth day. And Jesus was presented by his mother and father on the eighth day of purification. So then he could be presented to the Lord and circumcision could take place. It was required on the law on the eighth day. It was also an, another interesting fact in Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 10. Eight days had to pass before a leper 
could present himself to the temple for sacrifices to be pronounced clean. It could be that as they were, uh, Luke was seems that maybe the connection between the eight days is something divine is getting ready to happen. And the Messiah is now being presented in a special way. Notice the inner three of these men who are asked to come. Peter, John and James. This group of men have been allowed into the house of Jairus when his daughter was raised. Jesus let them come in. A special treatment for those that the Lord. Uh, interesting, some have indicated that they also Jesus understood that under the requirements of the law, anything that was presented as true had to be presented under the witness of how many witnesses? Two or three. So Jesus takes three witnesses with him to the event that is getting ready to happen. And so Jesus makes sure that there are reliable witnesses to this event. And why did Jesus go up? What is he doing when he got up there? Pray. Luke tells us this. You see, prayer plays a prominent role in the ministry of Jesus. Prayer always marks something very special that's going to happen in the life of Christ. It marks a new stage in the plan of God. Important things happen when Jesus prayed. And I want to tell you, just as a side note, important things happen when you pray as well. Prayer is important. Prayer is the important thing, but it's often accompanies something special that God does because prayer accompanied with it has power. Twice in these two verses, Jesus is said to be praying. And while he was praying, this happened. Connect this as well at the end that this when he went into a mountain. Here's our point. The mountain. If you are a student of the life of Jesus in the Gospels, then you will notice that mountains play a prominent figure in the life of Christ. Mountains in Jesus's ministry prepares the readers for something important. Where do mountains show up in Jesus's life in the Gospels? On a mountain, Jesus prayed in Luke six twelve. And in chapter 22 and verse 39, both of those take place in the mountain. One was a mountain in Galilee. The other was the Mount of Olives where Jesus will pray in the garden. Interesting, Jesus was praying in a mountain in John chapter 6 before he came walking on the water. Mountains play an important role in the miracles of Jesus. John 6, and he went up into a mountain, and there he had the people sit, and he fed 5,000. That happened in a mountain. Matthew 15, 29, it says, While on a mountain they brought to him many who were healed, and following that he fed 4,000. Both the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 that happened on a mountain. That's what it says in the text. Jesus preached his most, his two most important sermons on a mount. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 23 through 25, happen on two mountains. He calls his disciples on a mountain, Luke 6 and Mark 3. He went unto a mountain and prayed, and there he called to him the twelve. Interesting, in Matthew 28, he gave the Great Commission on a mountain. 
When he went up to them and he met them after his resurrection on a mountain and gave them the commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Missions played an important role as Jesus called his disciples to the great commission on a mountain. His temptation took place on a mountain in Luke 4 and verse 5. It said that the devil took him up to a high mountain and there tempted him. And I want to tell you the greatest work that was ever accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ happen on a mountain mount calvary scriptures calls it galgotha the place of a skull we sing the song on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross mountains are very important in the life of jesus and if you're a student you read through the gospels don't skip over the mountaintop experiences they're very important <laughs> But in the terms of the revelation of the glory of God, two mountains in the scriptures stand out more than any other. Mount Sinai in the Old Testament and the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament. The glory of God being revealed in the Old and the New both happen on a mountain. In an experience that, interesting enough, both includes Moses. And did you know it's interesting that we can pinpoint exactly where the temple mount is thousands of years later. We can go almost exactly to where the Sermon on the Mount is spoken. There are other locations in Israel that we can go and know exactly what happened. But did you know Mount Sinai and the Mount of Transfiguration, we have no idea where that happened. There are several strong traditions in three or four different locations for Mount Sinai and the Mount of Transfiguration and good people differ. It's interesting that we don't know where it happened and yet it was the most important marker in Old and New Testament for the revealing of God's glory in a personal way. And it's on this mountain that something divine happens Look in verse 29, and as he prayed, two things happened. The fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was like white. And glowing or dazzling is the way that is used here. So his fashion, now the word here is, is his countenance was altered. It's the word change or different. Now put your thinking cap on here for just a moment and think with me in, in a little deeper way. I know it's Sunday morning and you don't like to do that. But I spent some time studying it and I just want to give it to you. The word change or different. There are two words in the Greek language that display something that is different or another. When you, when you say another you have to describe in what are you talking about? So if, if, for instance, I were to say, I would ask someone, I want you to give me another hymn book. What I'm saying is I want another one just like this one. So you pull up a hymn book out of the rack and you bring it up there to me. That would be one word for another or a different. There's another Greek word that is used here for change, altered or different. It means another of a similar kind, but different. Bring me another book. 
That could mean, you know, a Bible. That could mean another hymn book that would be different than the majesty book. That could be something that is completely different than this one, but another one. Now, a reason I say that here in this is because the second word, another that is different, not like it was before, not similar, not exactly the same, but changed, different. So what happens to Jesus is he was just like any other man. When he was born as a baby and Mary held him in her arms, he was just like any other baby on the outside. His birth was very similar to any other human birth. He was, he was little. He was small. He cried. He was a human. He was 100% man. But yet we also know in the scripture that he was 100% God. There was a difference about him. When Jesus grew up as, as, a, as a young boy, as a teenager, and then as an adult man, and he walked around Galilee. On the outside, for all intents and purposes, he looked just like any other Jewish Galilean. He talked like just any other Jewish Galilean. In fact, his own family members and the people in Nazareth couldn't even, they didn't even see anything different about him. But yet he wasn't the same. Because when he came walking on water and he spoke and the winds and waves obeyed him and he caught to, to demons and they fled and he pulled out food galore from one little small bag. The disciples looked around and said, what manner of man is this? Something's different about him, but they couldn't see it. But now for the first time in Jesus's life and probably the only time in his earthly ministry until his ascension and post-ascension. It changes. He's not like any other man. No other time in Jesus' life has he ever been like this. It altered. Mark and Matthew use a different word. They use the word transfigured. It's the Greek word metamorphosis. Where we get our... Similar English word. It means to change in form. To become different. Luke uses the word altered or change or different in a different fashion. He's still a man. You can still recognize him. But his countenance, his face. It, it just, it's not like any other man's ever been seen. Different. In a fashion, he's re being revealed. He's coming out. All of the sudden, his face becomes something like no other human face. There was a change. His body, his clothes. This is not the same. He's never been like this before. And so this word that is used. Now, don't get me wrong here. Jesus does not change in his nature He's always the same. He never changes. However, what was hidden underneath his divinity that had been clothed with humanity was now being unleashed and revealed. It was still him, but not like before. You could still recognize him, but not the same way. His face now shone like the sun. His clothes were like the whitest light any person could have ever seen. He's described here as white lightning. Has nothing to do with moonshine. It says here, his fashion, the word is important to Luke, is translated in some places as the word appearance. 
Matthew and Mark don't use this word. It's a rare word that is only used one other time in the gospel of Luke. And do you know where that is? It's at the baptism. Where the Bible says, and the dove appeared on his shoulder in the form, or the King James says, in the shape of. The Holy Spirit in the shape of, in the fashion of, in the appearance of a dove. Now commentaries don't really know how to describe what is taking place here in this verse. Is Jesus being revealed from the inside out? Is Jesus being clothed with glory that he previously left and now God is allowing him to take it back for a moment? Are we seeing Jesus here in the form of what he was before he came to earth? What's happening? I can say this to you. Jesus is being transfigured. He is being revealed. We are getting a glimpse of heaven. We're getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We're getting a taste of what it's going to be when the heavens open and Jesus on the white horse is going to rush out and his appearance has been like no other. He will be a lion and not a lamb. Dwight Pentecost says this in his book. We are getting a miniature picture of Christ's second coming on earth to set up his kingdom. When he returns in all of his splendor and glory. And the way the New Testament writers are able to describe it is as light. As light. Luke uses the word gleaming. All three accounts describe light in different ways. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. Mark says his clothes began to be shined with light. Like snow as no fuller on earth could bleach them. What's that look like? Jesus started glowing light. The widest light that you can ever see. Did you know that you could go to Lowe's and get a light bulb of all different types? I mean, you used to go to the, the hardware store and pick up a light and you just picked up a light. And when I came home one time, I screwed the light bulb in and there was a blue one and an orange one. And my wife said, no, go back and get a blue one. All right. So you got to get, I was like, I didn't know. I just, just said, there's, there's, uh, you know, um, all kinds of, you look on the box, it all has all different shades of light. I thought light was light. However, interesting enough, there are differences. And when the disciples are describing this and writing this, the gospel writers, and they look at Jesus and his countenance that changed and this light that comes in, they all describe it in a different fashion, but they all agree. This is like no light that has ever been seen before. This is special. Now I want to tell you today. One day. We will see Jesus like this for ourselves. He is described both in the book of Daniel. And by John the Revelator. As having these types of robes. This type of color. Where his face will shine like glory. His hair will turn as white as snow. And he will come and shine like lightning. The scripture describes it in, a tar, in, a, in, a, in terms of lightning and thunder. With the rod of God in his full glory. And we say with the songwriter what a day that will be. 
When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by his hand. And leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. You just see the disciples here. Just getting a small glimpse. Of what it's going to be like. When Jesus comes back. And that should encourage all of the believers. That we get a glimpse here in the gospel records. Of what Jesus is like. When he is unveiled. When his humanity. In it will, will then be foreshadowed. As the glory of God shines out. In his new body. In his new robes. In his full glory. As he comes back as the lamb of God. And the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see that should put chill bumps down our back. Because we know that at any moment the Lord Jesus Christ could come back. And we could see him face to face in all of his glory. It should be sobering to many of us in here. Of that moment where we will see Jesus in his full awesome glory. We talked last week, you remember about his nails in his hands and his side and in his feet. That we are going to see with his wounds. That will be the only reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in the future, we will not see him in this type of form. We will see him in the transfigured form in all of his glory. And the disciples are getting a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and ushers his kingdom to us. Now, all I have time with left here is just to read the next verse for you. The scripture says... And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Now, when I read that first two words, and behold, if you've been in this journey with us through the book of Luke, you know that sometimes I stop on words. And you can preach a whole message on one word. How many of you remember when I talked to you about the word behold? Okay, Anybody? One. Ah, oh, there's two, Nick. All right, great. Two of you. You remember this word behold comes up in a few places. It means all of the sudden. What do you know? Look who shows up. It was used in the story of Jesus who was sitting at the table with the Pharisee. And behold, a woman with an alabaster box walked in. A chance meeting. It was used of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came to the city of name. And what do you know. Luke says behold. When he arrived at the gate. A woman. Coming. With a coffin. And her son. And Jesus just happened. To be there. And what do you know. All of this change of Jesus' face and countenance and his clothes and shining forth like glory. And then all of the sudden, look who shows up. Moses and Elijah. Listen, folks, that doesn't just happen. Everything in the life of Jesus has a purpose and a divine plan of God. And Luke says, suddenly... While this is happening, these two people appear. And it's not just Peter and James and John. It's not just some one of the other disciples who runs up in, in, uh, you know, in this costume because they were in the Christmas play that weekend. It was actually Moses. 
And it was actually Elijah. And they were standing there talking with Jesus. This is a God thing. And what is going on in that divine meeting is something very special. Both in type of the Old Testament, in type of the future kingdom. And in just a good old coffee time with these three men talking about, of all the things, is death, burial, and resurrection. Now listen, when we come to this, you say, well, pastor, what, what does that mean? Listen, that means the plan of God for Jesus to come to this world to suffer, die on the cross, and resurrect, and to come back one day in the future is all the very thing that God is doing in the life of you, me, and this church. It all surrounds Jesus and what he came to do and what he's coming to do. And Jesus even invites some others to come in and let's just talk about it here. And let's share a little bit about what's going on. And I want to tell you this morning as we close the service. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, Jesus came to this earth. In a form of a man, he humbled himself, he took the cross, he suffered, bled, and died. But he was God in flesh. And he dwelt among us. And the apostles said, we beheld his glory. And that same Jesus, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, he is coming again. You better be ready and prepared because you'll give an account. You'll stand before the Son of Man one day. And he will want to be pleased with you in your life. Is he today? Is he pleased with you? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because if you are ashamed of him on this life. And you can gain the whole world. But if you lose your own soul. Eternity is a long time. To be rejected by God. Father I pray as we close today. Thank you for the power of Jesus Christ in this revealing. And I feel that that's even these just few verses that we've dealt with this morning are very important. This is, a, this is a, a, a key marker in the text of Scripture for us in Jesus' life. All of it is important. All of it is inspired. But Lord, we, we need to camp out sometimes on some things that are very important for us about Jesus and his identity and who he is. There are a lot of people who say that Jesus is just a good prophet. Jesus is another Jewish person. Jesus was, was this or was that. And even the disciples were stumbled at times by, his, by this mystery. But Lord, even in the humility, when Jesus will walk the road to Calvary in that Mount Golgotha. And will take a cross. Would we not forget this is the Son of God in all of his glory. And he's not lost one bit of control. He laid down his life. Knowing he was going to do it. And he took it back up. On the third day. And one day he's coming again. We can trust your promises and your word. Would we be prepared. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I've asked the instrumentalist to play a song. We're not going to sing. But when I consider the works. Of thy hand and the sun moon and stars above. What is man? thou thinkest of him and who is so unworthy of his love see the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to give us salvation and because he loves you and he displayed himself as a man but not like any other he was different 
you trust Christ today, if you don't know Christ, we'd love to talk to you after the service, give you an opportunity, maybe privately, to be able to share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior and be prepared when He comes. And as believers today in this invitation before we leave, this vision, this, this revelation of Jesus Christ is not going to come up until Revelation 4 and 5. But you get a glimpse here of what Jesus is going to be like when he comes again. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready to stand before Christ face to face? What a day that will be. This morning, go to the Lord. I'm going to ask them to play through one more time before we close, just while you're seated, before we close the service. says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Mountains, valleys, all of creation tells your fame. Even the heavens declare all thy wondrous works they proclaim. O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. 